millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Why are there so many paranormal experiences from healthcare professionals? Could spirits become lost in the labyrinth of corridors in a hospital? Welcome to Paranormal Activity with me, Yvette Fielding, and this week we explore some more chilling encounters inside hospitals, nursing homes and medical institutions. One of our listeners, Amber, got in touch on email to suggest this week's episode topic. You can get in touch with your own suggestions at this address. It's contact at paranormalpod.co.uk. Amber writes, Hi Yvette, just loving your podcast. Well, thank you very much. I'm sure other people think it's bonkers that I listen to stories about paranormal entities, etc. while folding the laundry at 2pm in the afternoon. But for me, it's my favourite pastime. I work in healthcare and will be so interested in you doing a podcast dedicated to spooky stories from different hospitals. I know you've done a lot of them in Most Haunted. One thing I want to raise was that the ward I work on don't have any windows, so always curious as to where these souls would go after their physical body had passed away. Just something to think about, Amber. Well, thank you, Amber, so much for your email. Now, we've talked about haunted hospitals uh, in the past on the podcast, and I've uh, shared with you many of my... (laughs) some of the most terrifying encounters I've ever had. And most of them are in old hospitals. Um, Really, they really are the creepiest, most awful places uh, to spend the night. Um, So going back to Amber's question, which is, so do souls need a window to pass away? Well, interesting, uh, this is because I know that nurses tend to open a window in the room where a person has just died, as they believe that's how the soul can leave. Now, I believe that a soul doesn't need a window or door to be opened. Doesn't mean to say I'm right, um, but that's my belief. So they don't need a window or door to be opened. And, and this is something I think we do to comfort ourselves. And I think it goes back many, many hundreds of years. The soul leaves and departs this dimension and can go anywhere through anything, uh, walls, doors, wherever, because it isn't. The soul isn't made up of our heavy matter. So why do we think that so many hospitals and medical institutes are such a hubbub of activity? Well, I believe that hospitals are absolutely rammed uh, with energy. And when you think about it, so many people have died in these places and so many souls have been born. It's like a whirlwind of energy and that energy can linger. Memories of the past, stone tape theory if you like, many people will report hearing sounds and cries and moans and doors slamming, perhaps laughter, uh, crying, um, maybe medical instruments tinkling in the background or things like that. To me, they are memories. It doesn't mean that the souls are still hanging about, uh, reliving their illnesses. That would be terrible, wasn't it? Uh, These are just memories. Now, some souls cannot pass over. And this doesn't just apply to hospitals. This applies to everywhere. Some souls, as I say, cannot pass over because they're stuck, because some believe that they're not dead and they're very, very confused. Uh, Others are too frightened to move across as well, mostly because of religious beliefs, especially if they've been, uh, they passed on, say, over 100 years ago. 
Um, so all of this, like I say, is a whirlwind of energy caught up in this time capsule that perhaps is an abandoned old hospital. Uh, one such place, Waverly Hill Sanatorium in Kentucky, has been named one of the most haunted hospitals in the world. And it was due to the tuberculosis epidemic. Now, the sanatorium was made to increase the capacity tenfold. And when you think about it, during this time when the Waverly Hill Sanatorium was built, one person Every hour, 24 hours a day, seven days a week was dying due to this epidemic. So you imagine how many people were dying in that area. And it was all over America and reached into some parts of Europe and was, was almost a plague. Now, patients at the Waverly Hills uh, could expect treatment that varied from balloons implanted to their, into their lungs to the removal of ribs and chest muscles to allow for lung expansion. There was a lot of exploratory uh, surgeries went on here, and, and sometimes it, it could have been quite cruel. When this didn't work, oh, this is awful. I, I stood in this place I'm about to tell you about. A 500-foot tunnel, or it was actually called a body chute, was built so that people could discreetly send the bodies away to be removed because you didn't want to see while you were trying to get better all these bodies you know being wheeled out in front of you so they had to do it very discreetly and now can you believe it it's a tourist attraction um, with visitors reporting the ghost of a nurse in room 502 and according to one reviewer on Yelp um, quote we walk up there and I do get some weird vibes hair stands up on my arms I get flush feelings sometimes I'm very queasy it's an awesome place I don't know if I'd want to go there if I was feeling like that all the time but I had the lovely pleasure of spending the night in this incredibly creepy location quite a few years ago now. And um, we were doing a Most Haunted tour of the US and we did a variety of different investigations all around the country. But this particular building itself is enormous. I mean, it's, it's absolutely huge. And now it's just a shell of the former hospital that, that it was. And it was closed in 1982. And over the years, you know, the weather, the rain, it's all ravaged, graffiti, people have gone in there. I mean, it, it is just a shell of a building. Now, there are two main ghosts here. Um, one being that of the head nurse whose body was discovered hanging in her room 502. Now, this was in 1928 and it was rumoured she was pregnant. She couldn't cope with the shame as the father was allegedly one of the doctors who was married at the time. Now, some people say that she was murdered by the doctor, a mystery that has never been solved. Now, weirdly enough, a few years later, another nurse who was also in room 502 committed suicide. This is where it gets really freaky. Um, because allegedly she jumped to her death out of the window in room 502 and nobody knows why. I mean, how extraordinary being in exactly the same room. There are other ghosts there, but these are described as shadow people. And many of these shadows show themselves and cause all sorts of paranormal activity to occur. And I believe that these shadow people are the patients, the doctors, the nurses. Some of them refuse to leave and they're not showing themselves. They're just in the corners, standing with their backs against the walls and the corridors, making the doors open and close on their own. Perhaps you can hear their voices in the dead of night. The fourth floor is the most haunted and the shadow people like to come out and play here. Like I said, lots of voices and cries are recorded here and moans and growls and groans are heard all along the corridors and in the rooms. Now, initially, I took a lovely, lovely, lovely medium and psychic artist Brian Shepard for a walk around this enormous building and I took him to room 502, as I was intrigued to see if he could pick up 
on the nurse's energies. Now remember, Brian Shepard is the only psychic medium out of all the ones that I've ever worked with that I truly, truly trust. And I remember standing there and watching him all of a sudden he spat on the floor. And I was like, oh, Brian, that's not like you. And then I said, what's the matter? And he said, is there not blood in my in my spit? And he brought his hand out. And I said, no, there's nothing there. You're okay. He said, I've got blood. I can taste it. I can taste the blood. I can, I can smell the sulfur. And I thought, oh God, this is, this is what's going on. And then he said, she aborted the fetus herself. She then hanged. I said, what? So Brian then describes seeing the nurses, two of them, um, the first one hanging and apparently she was pregnant, but she got rid of the baby. She, she, she took the baby out of her tummy and then she hanged. Uh, and he's describing all of this, which is really quite harrowing to think about. And then Brian says, oh, there's another one. There's another one. He says, and I see her and her hands are outstretched and she's running towards the window and she's falling. Um, and according to Brian, now this is the interesting bit. The second nurse saw the first nurse, the ghost of the first nurse hanging. And she was so terrified by this image that she she ran towards the window, screaming, absolutely petrified, and fell out, smashed through the glass and fell to her death. So she didn't kill herself. It was an accident, according to Brian, and that's what happened. And then Brian tells me that he's hearing this awful, frightening, distressing voice in his head. And it's from first nurse that hanged herself was actually warning Brian in his head, get out or leave as the others did. I mean, it was a really frightening, tense moment when he's he's coming out with, with, with all of this information. And, and you could see the distress on his face. So then it gets dark and we decide, funny enough, we are warned by the owner of the building, whatever you do, don't go anywhere on your own. Just don't. And I suppose that's great for, for a couple of reasons, because if something happens and the likelihood with this place that you're going to experience something, it's best that you're with someone so that they can say they've experienced it as well. So for, at the beginning, we all started off together, um, which made me incredibly happy. Honestly, just this place, I cannot even, the smell, the everything was black. It was so dark and ominous and really frightening. I remember physically shaking because even, you know, in the daytime when we were walking around before, you know, it was dark, I was really nervous about this place. Um, not because of the history, not because of other ghost groups and other ghost investigators had been there and the stories that they told, but because of the vibe of it, because of the feel of it. I could feel it. It was a very negative, negative place. So during our vigils, we're all together, the Most Haunted team, we did pick up on some very interesting phenomena. And the first thing we captured, and it's great, and, and it's actually on YouTube, so you can watch this, but you can hear, you have to really listen for it, and we all heard, what was that? What was that? And I said, it was a piano playing. We replay it and replay it. And there it is. You can hear a quick tinkling of the piano keys. Although, and this is the interesting bit, there's no piano in the building. Then things started happening in very quick succession. Then we all heard chains moving and clattering around. Um, and apparently builders that have been into this building in the daytime, they've all told of stories of chains and keys jangling, following them as they walk and work around the building. Well, we all heard that. And we actually captured it on camera. Also, just to, to warn you, if you do go there, <laughs> there's lots of my favorite nocturnal animal, bats. Oh, if I wasn't screeching from the from the paranormal activity, it was bats. I'd have this huge fear of bats because I always think their wings are going to get tangled up in my hair and I'll end up sort of wandering around screaming with a bat flapping against my face. Oh yes, I've imagined that a lot of times. So then as the evening goes on, um, uh, in my wisdom, I, I think we ended up splitting up, but never on our own, unless you're Carl and Stuart. So, of course, we split up. 
Um, and Carl, Stuart and Brian are together on one floor and the rest of us are on a different floor. Now, this is the weird thing. So Carl, Brian and Stuart are walking. They're not huddled together. They're walking separately. And as they're walking down one of the corridors, they're looking into each of the rooms. And in the rooms, there are metal beds. And Carl screams out loud because he sees, I think they hear a noise as well, which made Carl jump. And he cries out because he sees a full manifestation of a ghost and he sees them getting off the bed. Actually, no, that was Brian. He actually sees a person in that room with the bed and they, they're sat on the bed and they just turn their head to look at Carl. I mean, that would freak anybody out. And then Brian, he's walking and uh, I think behind Carl and as he's looking in the cell, in that same cell, he sees a person, that same person that Carl saw, get off the bed. But the great thing is you actually hear it's there, you actually hear the bed springs go as if somebody's actually got off the bed. I am a huge believer in trigger objects and using objects. So say, for instance, if you have ghosts of children and apparently children have been seen in the Waverley Sanatorium. So I had my marbles and so I threw a marble down the corridor and it was absolutely fascinating um, because uh, straight away, and I, as soon as I'm calling out and I'm talking to what I think is a child or children, you can, you can hear loud banging and thudding. It starts. That's when it starts. And then literally, seconds later, the marble comes flying back. And we all hear it and it smashes onto the floor. And that to me was so exciting. When you get that recall, you know, you want that poltergeist activity. You want it, that marble to come back or whatever you've thrown. So whenever you're doing an investigation, always, always try it. Throw something, a penny, anything away from yourselves. In most situations, I call it callback phenomena. So turn your back and start talking amongst yourselves. And nine times out of 10 with my investigation team, that marble, that stone, that penny will come back. It's almost like they're saying, hey, you wanted my attention. Don't be rude. Turn your back on me. I'm giving it to you now. And so they'll throw it back. And so that's what I call callback phenomena because you're asking for something. You're asking for something to happen and they're calling you back. And also this can happen when you're leaving a room as well. So do try that uh, when you're on an investigation. And as I said, this happened with me and this marble. It came flying back and it was fantastic. And I got very, very excited. Carl Stewart and Brian decided in their wisdom that they were going to go uh, to the mortuary, which is on the ground floor. The rest of us, myself, we went up to the very haunted fourth floor. Now, as they're on the ground floor heading towards the mortuary, Brian is pulled off a bed because Carl says, Brian, why don't you lie down on that bed and see what you get? And the next thing you hear this cry and Brian's on the floor. He says, I was pulled off the bed. I was pulled off the bed. Stuart then, he's on his own. I mean, how ridiculous are these three going off on their own when they've been told not to? Of course, it's Carl and Stuart, isn't it? Uh, and, and Stuart's in one of the rooms and the gate, there's a gate and it closes and locks him in. Carl then goes inside a mortuary slab. You know those drawers and they pull the they pull the slab out and you get on it. Well, that was what happened. Carl got on that and was pushed in. There was no door, so he wasn't locked in. But he asked Stuart and Brian to be within shouting distance. And oh my God, he's crying out, help me. And he's shouting and shouting. Something's affecting him. Something's hurting him. So they pull him out. Uh, and at that time when they're pulling him out, they, they hear a growl. It's a horrible noise. And then they hear footsteps. And that's when Carl is screaming out. Anyway, they get him out. And Brian says at this time, they're coming for his body. They're coming for his body. And he's standing up and Carl is in a lot of pain. He lifts his T-shirt up. Three enormous scratches on Carl's back. And then he turns round and on his stomach, he has three smaller scratches on his stomach. The blood is starting to flow and it's coming out. It's really upsetting to watch. 
But Carl then says when the pain happened, he actually saw an old woman hovering over his head. He describes her as just this awful skeletal bruises all over her face. She was emaciated, a horrible, frightening um, spectre to see. And I was thinking, could this ghost be one of the nurses, perhaps the first nurse, because the first nurse um, that Brian talked about was very threatening, you know, get out, you know, or or something, you know, the same thing will happen to you. Could uh, she have been the one to have caused those scratches on Carl's body? She was obviously very, very angry, very, very negative. Of course, while all this is happening, I'm with the rest of the team and we have a wonderful capture on camera because we actually catch women talking and you can hear it it's wonderful and again I get so excited and then straight after that there's a growl uh, so you've got the positive and I think it's the memory recall the stone tape theory that we're hearing the piano the women talking and so on and then you get the negativity you get the the nastiness the scratches and then the growl now Carl then after a break uh, a glutton for punishment uh, went into the nurse's room alone room 502 not a good idea again the camera picks up what sounds like a growl or a deep cough which and the cough sounded ill it sounded as if somebody had a problem with their lungs when you listen to it it really is quite extraordinary Stuart is uh, on his own on the fourth floor and it's very strange because his camera won't work properly and it's going in and out of focus in and out of focus he can't get it to work and then something happens to him which he refused to talk about but he's so frightened um he, he, he has to leave and he gets himself all dis disorientated and can't work out which way to go. Then Carl, again, still on his own in room 502. Stuart is making his way down to where, where, where Carl is and Carl gets locked inside room 502. The door will not open and eventually Stuart gets him out. I'll never forget my experience and neither will any of that team when we investigated Waverley Sanatorium. It truly is haunted. It, it's one of the, the most scariest locations I've ever investigated. But any abandoned old haunted hospital, they really are the worst. And if you want to really scare yourself to death <laughs> and investigate somewhere and you want to go somewhere for the first time that's haunted, I would try an old abandoned hospital first to whet your appetite. Now, another infamous hospital is Penhurst Asylum in Chester County um, in America. Now, when it opened in 1908, Penhurst took in mostly patients with physical and mental disabilities. But like other institutions at the time, Penhurst also held inmates, which encompass not just actual criminals, but also orphans, immigrants, and pretty much anyone who had nowhere else to go. And also like similar places, Penhurst was self-sufficient with its own power plants and other amenities. Now, by the 1960s, the institution was overcrowded, underfunded, and falling apart. Television reporter Bill Baldini exposed abusive and unsafe conditions for children living here, but the institution remained open until 1987. Penhurst has since become a controversial tourist attraction. Weird NJ, a ghost hunter website, reports having picked up a voice saying we're upset in its recordings within the hospital. At, an, at other points in its tape, a female voice asks, why won't you leave? Other voices offer variations on that theme with go away or why did you come here? And in an ironic twist, there's also a male voice that reportedly says, I'm scared. Now, I've talked about two hospitals in the United States, but as you know, there are plenty around the world and plenty in the UK. And I've investigated many of them in the UK and some of them stick out more than others like Standon Hall, um, Denby Hospital in Wales. That was an incredible place. Barnes Hospital in Cheshire and so many, many, many more. All of them absolutely fascinating and terrifying in equal measure. This week, Andy shares his story all the way from Texas at a military hospital on a full-mooned Halloween night. 
Hello, Yvette. My name is Andy, and I'm here in Texas. I'm originally from Great Britain. I want to talk to you about the scariest uh, event I've ever been involved in, investigation. It was a location called Beach Army Hospital at Fort Walters in Mineral Wells, Texas. This building uh, was built in the uh, late 1950s and uh, served as a uh, military hospital for the men uh, that was going to go over to uh, Vietnam and also was used, according to uh, a lady in Mineral Wells, as a uh, experimental hospital for people that was injured during Vietnam War. We was fortunate enough in uh, 2020 to investigate that location on Halloween. So most notable uh, that Halloween weekend was the uh, two full moons, which very rarely happens. To top it off, we had an extra hour investigation. The cutoff time was uh, two o'clock, but at two o'clock, the clocks went back an hour. So we gained an extra hour, which was unfortunate for us because let me tell you what happened. We decided to dress up and because my skin is, is kind of delicate, <laughs> we was going to dress up as zombies. I couldn't put the base coat on my face. All I could have was blood. And I decided I was going to go as a, a soldier, a zombie soldier. Well, all I could have was blood on my face. Well, I looked like a wounded soldier that night. So anyway, um, we was investigating. Um, there was me and a group of 10 of uh, people that was with us. And we all heard a disembodied voice. It was like a growl. It was like a... So I said to the people that was with me, did you do that? And they were like, no, we did not do that. And I, I trusted the people that I was with. There was very serious investigators. Uh, we was running an event for uh, a company out here. There was 30 of us total. So anyway, uh, we carried on. Uh, we ended up getting stones thrown at us. All sorts of stuff happened. Uh a lady that was with us that was leading the groups, she was thrown off a chair into a puddle of water. To this day, she can't explain why that happened. She went to sit on the chair, and when she did, she just fell off the chair and fell into a, a ton of water, which you can imagine in October, even though we're in Texas, it was cold, and she was the leader. So she went to the hotel room where she was staying, to go get changed because she didn't want to be in wet, damp clothes during the investigation, which meant it left the regular investigators like myself. And I think there was four other people that night that was in charge of the event. So she left. As soon as she left, it went south. So to start the night off, we had one lady and, and typically if anything goes off, people will come grab me and say, Hey, this person's having a problem. Can you help me fix it? And I'm like, yeah, no worries. So there was one lady that uh, she started having an issue. I thought at one point it was a medical issue because I don't know if you've ever walked upon someone and they look at you like they're about ready to swing it, swing at you. This is what that lady did to me. And I said, look, I'm just here to help you. That's, that's all I'm here to do. Let's get you off the property. Let's get you on some grass and let's try and grind you. During this time, this lady uh, was starting to deteriorate quite badly. She was seeing faces in the trees. She was shaking. So we were like trying to uh, handle this situation with a lady when unbeknownst to me, and I'm off the property at this point, I'm uh, at least 500, 600 yards away from the property. And unbeknownst to me, there's another situation going off inside. I've got another three people that are having issues. It's like a knock-on effect. So I'm trying to deal with this one lady and a, a guy comes running up to me and says, I need help. I said, I'm dealing with this lady right now. And it, it didn't really work out that well for us. So long story short, the lady came back. We ended up saging this lady. I'm telling you, she scared the living daylights out of me. I've never seen a face change. Uh, when the lady came up with sage, she thought she, thought she was seeing a demon. I was like, look, just concentrate on this. I was trying to help her out. Now, I've investigated, I want to say I started getting into this in 2006, uh, back home in England. And I've investigated many places. Uh, one of my favorite places is the uh, Golden Fleece in York. I love that place.
I've never, ever been affected by a spirit, but I was able to get off this lady, whatever was on the lady. For the rest of the night, I was never the same again. We had a guy, and he was taking some stuff off the property, which you should never do. It's, it's an abandoned building, and you should leave it where it is. Well, unbeknownst to me, I didn't know that at the time, but all of a sudden, it came over me. I was asking for this person, where is this person at? I'm keeping names because I don't want to mention people on your podcast. So I started looking for this guy. To what I was told, I was physically wanting to hurt the person. And I, I was able to somewhat control it because I was telling them people that was with me, keep this person away from me because I don't know what he's done, but he's doing something wrong. That's what happened. They kept the person away from me. Now, according to the lady that was with me, she staged me nine different times, and I only remember two of the times. I was staged at the location, and then I was staged at the parking lot that we all met up after the uh, event. Like I say, I've never been affected like that before that location or after that location. And an amazing, amazing time scared the living daylights out of me. I know now to go with more protection. Fort Walters Beach Army Hospital. Unfortunately, we can't get in no more, but I'm telling you, if you ever get a chance of it, you should come out and check that location out because it's the scariest place I've ever been to, and I've been to plenty of places back home in England. Loving the podcast. Thank you very much, and have a great day. Bye. Thank you, Andy, for your voice note. I was absolutely riveted. So, a big question. Does dressing up make a difference? To me, the fact that, Andy, you were dressed as what looked like an injured soldier, uh, of course, is going to pique Sol's interest. They're going to be really, what's going on here? This this is interesting. So, they're going to come in. I think that dressing up definitely helps to attract more paranormal activity. And it's been known uh, that during reenactments of wars and battles, the participants have encountered soldiers walking up to them on the battlefield saying something like, help me, and then vanishing. There's an incredible amount of reports um, from uh, reenactors that reenact uh, the Battle uh, of Gettysburg. Uh, when we went over there to investigate Gettysburg, we spoke to quite a few people um, that dressed up as these soldiers, and they experienced seeing full manifestations of ghosts walking next to them, being with them, seeing them, hiding behind um, <clears throat> cannons and under horses, and then them completely disappearing. And I find that absolutely fascinating. So me being me, I decided to get all the most haunted team to dress up in World War II uniforms when we investigated the Strand Underground Station in London. Now, I'd heard that during the war, the tunnels were used as air raid shelters. Well, I didn't hear. I, I knew that to be fact, uh, like many of the underground tunnels in London. But by dressing up, it can trigger energy and spirits are more likely to show themselves or interact with you as they think that you are from the same time period. Now, the woman in your investigation seems to have either imagined the scenario, which by the sounds of it, I doubt very much. I think that she was open to spiritual spiritual entities. Um, say, for instance, if she'd had an emotional day before she arrived, that could invite an unwanted entity into her space. She could have also worked herself up into a state and just panicked. Now, let me just digress slightly here. When we do most wanted experience, say, for instance, if you're feeling very sad or you've come away from your home and you've had a row with your partner or you're very distressed and unhappy, and then, then you come to an event where you're then trying to talk to the spirit world, your energy is on a higher vibration. The electricity that you're pushing out is on a higher vibration. And so the spirit world lock onto that energy because it's more vibrant. You're standing out more than anybody else. If you're about to go and do for the first time, you've not really done a ghost hunting event or connected with the spirit world before, 
you need to, everybody, I, I believe this to be, just take a beat, just take a moment to do some breaths and just concentrate and ask for a little bit of protection from the other side because you can experience some upsetting negativity. And this is exactly what I think has happened to this woman in Andy's story. Um, I think for some bizarre reason, her energies were more vibrant than the other people there. I'm not saying that, you know, because after um, this lady fell from her chair into the puddle, apparently that's when it all kicked off. And then another woman inside the uh, the building, she also started to experience quite malevolent uh, entities. Again, you know, was she open to the spirit world? You know, was she inviting them in? Had she protected herself? So just remember that before you go into any ghost hunt, just just try and, and, and center yourself and try and imagine yourself surrounded with bright white light. That can, that can really help you as an individual to stop any negativity coming in and affecting uh, your aura and state of mind. Like I say, were these women especially sensitive to the spirit world? If they are and they haven't protected themselves, like I say, an angry spirit could have decided, well, I'm going to have a bit of fun with her. It sounds like these uh, poor women, they had a terrible time. Um, and some of those spirits inside that military base sound to me like they're very angry and trapped. And to answer your question, yes, Andy, let me in there. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I want to let you know about an amazing new offer just for you. We're launching a new weekly bonus series, Yvette Investigates. Each week, we'll be releasing a new episode as part of an investigation into a paranormal event or phenomena with leading experts and historians. For just 99 pence a week, you get this exclusive bonus episode delivered into your podcast feed, as well as getting our main episode ad-free and a day earlier than everybody else. There's three different tiers you can subscribe to. Head to paranormalpod.co.uk now to find out how to subscribe and become one of our podcast paranormal investigators. As a special thanks, we'll even give the first 50 paranormal investigators a shout out and a big thank you on the podcast.
Well, I'm absolutely thrilled um, to be joined on the show by paranormal author Richard Estep. He's here with me now. I, I'm just looking the, at the amount of literature that you have given as a gift to the world. There's so many books that you've written. They're just astounding. A, a couple of them, uh, I mean, obviously... People that know me will think, well, you couldn't read those events because it would scare me to death. But The Haunting of Asylum 49, Haunted Healthcare, you are the right person to speak to about haunted hospitals, which is you know, what we're talking about today. What's intrigued you, first of all, Richard? Let's start off with your uh, love of the, of the paranormal and what started you writing about it. Absolutely. Well, I live in the States now, Yvette, but I grew up uh, in the Midlands in the UK. And my grandparents lived in Hull and they had this haunted house. Uh, when, during the Second World War, when my grandfather was off fighting in Burma, um, it was one of those big, you know, World War II era families. So I have lots of aunts and uncles on that side. And they were kids. They always talked about the old lady that came into their bedroom at night to tuck them into bed. And uh, it turned out that she was a former occupant of the house who had died there and I think was helping keep an eye on the family uh, while my grandfather was off at war. And when he returned and my aunts and uncles grew up, um, she stopped appearing. It was like, a, you know, mission accomplished. And I used to have to stay in that bedroom all on my own uh, when I would go stay <laughs> with my grandparents. Yeah. Uh, and, and so, you know, half of me was kind of hoping she would turn up because it was it was fascinating and cool. And the other half of me was terrified that she would turn up. And she never did. Uh, I think she was long gone. But that started me as a child of the 70s uh, with my love of the paranormal and of books. Because, of course, you know, there was no Most Haunted then. There was no Ghost Hunters or Paranormal TV. You guys were the first. Um, so you had to go to the library. And there was that one paranormal section, you know, where you could get uh, books uh, by people like Guy Lyon Playfair and people like that. That gave me my love, which I still have today. That's absolutely uh, wonderful. I love hearing backstories of how people, you know, started in, in their careers. So let's talk about hospitals and these fascinating buildings. What drew you to, to hospitals and asylums? I think primarily because I make my living as a paramedic. That's my chosen profession. Um, I've, Do you really? Wow. Yeah. Uh, I've been in emergency medical services since 2002. I joined right after September 11. In fact, when I became a firefighter here in the States, uh, they require that you become an EMT, an emergency medical technician. And I took the next step to become a paramedic. That's still uh, what pays my mortgage, in fact, and, and it's still my passion, you know. And uh, I got this reputation because nurses especially, um, they, they will not be shy about telling you their ghost stories, as I'm sure you've discovered over the years talking to so many people. And they would say, you know, that, that weird paramedic will be by later tonight with a patient. You should tell him what happened. <laughs> the, the room, the room oh, where really? the guy, yeah, the room where the guy died and it's empty, but the call light keeps getting, you know, switched on. Somebody's pushing the call button in an empty room. Tell that guy, he'll believe you. <laughs> and I collected so many of these stories <laughs> over the years. I just kind of became that haunted hospital guy. And that's what led to me writing a book called The World's Most Haunted Hospitals and it led to me appearing on the show Haunted Hospitals, which we just wrapped our fourth season of that. I've just been talking about um, the Waverley Hill Sanatorium. Did you visit that? I was just there uh, the other month, in fact. Um, Waverley I've been to twice. And, and honestly, despite its fearsome reputation, it was quiet for me both times, um, which I, I, I kind of wonder if it hasn't been investigated so frequently. You know, I'd love to ask you, I know it's rude to ask her interview a question in return about, maybe you can give me your opinion, but do you think a haunted location can get kind of overplayed, you know, can it get mined out, if you will? Yeah, and it's not a rude question at all. I, do you know, funnily enough, me and my daughter were talking about this only the other day, Um and we do most haunted experiences where you can, you know, the, the, the lovely fans of the show can join us on various locations. And there's a few that when we first went there, it was, everything was happening. It was fantastic. I mean, it was absolutely terrifying. Um, and then over the years, you know, more and more people, more ghost investigators, more paranormal investigators have been going there, different people, different companies. Uh, and slowly but surely, there's a little bit of activity, but it's nowhere like it was in the beginning. And so to answer your question, yes, I think you can 
<laughs> you can ghost hunt the hell out of somewhere and kill it, you know? And I think if you were a ghost on the other side, you'd be standing there going, oh, for God's sake, really? I don't want to throw anything again. Why should I make a noise for you? Who the hell are you? You know, and I can imagine them sort of rolling their eyes and crossing their arms in frustration at being interrupted yet again. And, and, and we do, I honestly do believe that you can exhaust somewhere. I really believe that. I always think, uh, perhaps it's because I have some literal gold mines in the area where I live in Colorado. Um, I, I wonder if, you know, we use the term, oh, that place is a, a paranormal gold mine. Um, like any real gold mine, can you kind of go back to that well too often and take pretty much all of the, the substance out of it, you know? Absolutely, uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm not saying that's what happened with Waverly necessarily, but that's just been my experience. But as we know, they don't perform on demand. So, um, just walking those hallways, as you'll recall from when you shot there, it's a privilege. You know, you, you feel the sense of history. You think about all the human beings that lost their lives there, the brave men and women that, um, that fought the tuberculosis, uh, the, the kind of plague. And I think that alone contributes to a haunting too, not just the death. Absolutely. I mean, and the, the, you know, the, the story of the two nurses, you know, that, that died in the room, the first one hanged herself and the second one, according to our psychic artist, who's Brian Shepard, who is, in my opinion, the best psychic I've ever worked with. But the second nurse fell to her death through the window, but it was through the shock of seeing the ghost of the first one, which I found absolutely incredible. But I remember it was the whole... Oh, gosh, it was the whole story and the sort of legend of Waverley that made us very on edge. And when we were walking around, we were terrified because we'd heard all these stories. But actually, we did hear things. We did capture things. But it wasn't as bad as we thought it was going to be. But what happened to poor Carl, that was terrifying. He's absolutely off his rocker when it comes to things like this. He oh, yeah. went and put himself in one of the mortuary slabs um, and he said he saw the ghost of an old woman, his, her face above his head. And then he screamed out in agony and he, he gets out and the camera's there and you see these massive scratches and the blood started to come out on his back and then the same on the front. And I think at that point I called it. I said, no, 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 that's enough now. We're, we're, we're going. And, I, and I, I'm always a a firm believer, Richard, it's down to energy. So if you're if you go into somewhere with a with a really open mind, something's gonna happen, something's gonna happen, something's gonna happen. Nine times out of ten, something will happen. But if you go in there kind of thinking something might happen, I'm not quite sure. Yes, it's a bit spooky, and your brain, your subconscious goes into the logical side of thinking, the likelihood is, you know, 60, 70% nothing's going to happen. So um, it just depends. And it's, the, and it's the people that you're with. If they have great energy, something's going to happen. If there's a doubter or a, a skeptic in the group, likelihood is nothing's going to happen. I mean, that's not a, the rule for everything. But in our case at Waverley, that's kind of what happened. So out of all these buildings that you go into on a daily basis, being a paramedic uh, and writing the way that you have, is there a particular building, a particular old hospital that you have fallen in love with or you just think these stories are amazing? There, there are two that really uh, speak to me personally that I, um, that I keep going back to. One is Asylum 49 in Utah and one is Old South Pittsburgh Hospital in Tennessee. Oh, tell us about those. They sound great. Yeah, Asylum 49 um, is, called, is called that because it was never an asylum. It was a community hospital. Uh, and it's actually appeared on TV. If you ever saw Stephen King's miniseries, The Stand, it was a, a filming location for that. It was a local uh, hospital um, in Utah until it closed down. Uh, in the early part of the 21st century. And they just closed the doors and left. I mean, they walked out. There were medical records left in there. There were x-rays up. There were used needles in the shops containers. They literally just took anything of any real value, but they left the beds. They even left an x-ray machine. Uh, and it was purchased um, by Kim and uh, Dusty Anderson, who uh, wanted to turn it into a Halloween-style haunted house attraction. You know, the kind of place where you go in and you get the living daylight scared out of you by actors? Oh, God. Oh, I hate those places. They scare the living <laughs> daylights out of me. <laughs> uh, and so the, the trick with Asylum 49, though, is it's twofold. Number one, it's a full contact haunted house, which means you have to sign a waiver to go in that you can be touched, you can be put in a coffin, you can be wheeled on a, on a 
gurney or a trolley. You know, it's terrifying. But it's also a haunted, haunted house. They started getting complaints. And one that I'll never forget was that uh, somebody complained to the owners. They said, you know, the guy you have playing a doctor in the emergency room, he had a real bad attitude. He was glowering at me like he just was unhappy I was there. And uh, they had to tell him, sir, you know, we don't have anybody playing a doctor in the emergency room. Oh, wow. It seemed as if the spirits of that location almost got in on the act. <laughs> they they started to, to manifest and it became difficult for some of the customers going through to tell who was real and who wasn't. And I just love that story. But I love that place also because in my 28 year now, I think it is, career doing paranormal research, it's the only location where I believe I've seen an apparition, a full on, um, fully realized apparition. And how, what, what situation was that? Well, I, what I always do is I, I go there and Halloween is when it's busiest. My first time there was March. I had nothing happen. And it was because it was off season. The building had been dormant and unoccupied. So the, the owner said, look, we'll give you the keys. If you come back over Halloween, uh, come stay here for four or five days and nights. And I thought that was a great idea because you have all these people coming through wanting to get scared. And, and as you know, you know, fear brings tremendous energy. Yes. And hauntings are all about energy at the end of the day. Yes. So I thought, yeah, this place has to be a buffet for the spirits when you have all these <laughs> screaming, terrified people. Yeah. I wanted to go through first as a customer to see what they experienced myself. And as I was walking through, I saw this young girl in an old kind of historic dress. She can't have been more than seven or eight years old, and that should have been the clue, but it never I never twigged at the time. And she was pulling this lady into a room, and she had this kind of, I should say, gleeful look on her face, not malicious or anything like that, but uh, the lady was freaked out, and this little girl was loving that fact, you know? And so I got to the end, and uh, I said to the owners, I said, that was really awesome, but don't you worry about having, you know, seven- and eight-year-olds uh, interacting with scared adults like this. And they just looked at one another and looked at me and said, we don't have anybody uh, of that age. And I said, yes, you do. I saw her. They they don't let children go through as customers, obviously for liability's sake. So I said, I saw this little girl clear as day. And they took me over to the cast hall where the actors were taking off their makeup, you know, and, and having a, uh, some pizza. And I checked every single one of them. The girl I saw was not there. And they told me, that this uh, apparition had been seen many times, the spirit of a young girl that had died in the hospital many decades before. How marvellous. And was she solid? Solid. Well, she must have been for you to think she was an actor. Yeah, you know, uh, to be really honest, Yvette, I needed to be humbled a little bit because for years I've interviewed people who've told me these stories and I've always thought to myself, all of us have cell phone cameras. You had a phone camera right in your pocket. Why didn't you pull it out and snap some pictures? And it never occurred to me for a second that what I was looking at wasn't a real flesh and blood child. How absolutely fascinating, Richard. And if you had taken your phone out and filmed that, that young girl, you would have had so many people say, oh, it's faked. It's faked. You know, you can, it, it, we can capture all sorts of things uh, like we've done. And you always get, you'll never, ever be able to prove it 100%. I don't think you will. Sadly. I agree. And I've lost interest in trying to do that anymore. You know, I, I investigate and write for my readers and, and for myself, not for, for anybody who's uh, who's just won't believe anything. But there's an interesting twist to what you just said, I think, because as we all know now, um, British people, American people, wherever we live, when we go into the high street, when we go on the town, as my, my Lester's coming out, you know, go on the town, um, <laughs> we are on camera. We are on camera more times now than at any other point in human history, right? And they have software. You go to an airport or, or you go anywhere, really. They have software which identifies your face. We all know that we use that to unlock our phones. Well, my, my thought is that as we start seeing this software become more common, as more faces go into these databases, people will, of course, start dying. How long is it going to be before security cameras in the high street are picking up the faces and identifying them of people that have already died. What a brilliant How many apparitions thought. will get? Yes. Yeah. What a fantastic thought. 
Yes, you heard it here first. What a brilliant thought that is, Richard. Do you know, I w- I'll be really thinking about that. Wait, till I tell my hubby and my daughter. What a great thought. When I first started doing this, which was probably right about the same time you did, uh, we would we would use VHS tapes, you know, we would set them to the nine-hour extended play and we would record empty hallways and you had to watch that footage Oh, to, for, I know, for any, I know. It's just <laughs> terrible, isn't it? I was going to say, I knew a guy that actually, he got around this by bribing his kids with chocolate. He'd pay his kids <laughs> in Mars bars to watch empty corridors for hours on end. You know, call, call oh, daddy if you word. see anything weird. But but now yeah. I think that we're entering a, a time in, in human history where our technology, it's going to start picking up on people that should not be there anymore. And have you ever wondered when you look at these big crowd scenes on TV, Maybe one or two of those people aren't actually flesh and blood at all. Maybe more than that. Yeah. And, you know, there's some fantastic photographs online where people are at weddings and, and they go, oh, my God, look, there's granddad. And there, there is granddad in the family photograph at the back. I've got an amazing picture of my dad's face. And it's not like, oh, you could just make out an eye. You can just make, it's not pareidolia or anything. It is my dad and his face, his head is above my head for my 40th birthday. And it, it, I, I, I've never made it public because I don't want people to go, what a load of old rubbish, you know, it's fake, it's fake. No, it's personal to me. That's my dad. I show friends and, you know, when we're having, like if, if me and you were, you know, having a chat over a, a, a glass of wine, Richard, I'd say, look at that. And there's no doubt you'd go, oh my God, that's amazing. And that was taken on an, before iPhones came out. We took, the, we took the picture and you actually see a little blue orb um, on the original picture. We put it into the laptop and we were just flicking through the pictures and then we blew uh, we said, oh, look, there's an orb. And we just blew it up. And there it is. In f- Honestly, it's so clear. It's fantastic. So I always say to people, you've hit the nail on the head there. You know, pictures, you know, now with technology, have a look. You know, is there somebody there that shouldn't be there? Or is there somebody there that died 10 years ago that's invited themselves to your wedding? How wonderful. And I think that the the automated systems are about to start taking that out of our hands, which will take all of the, the dull donkey work out of watching that footage. But I think when it comes to the paranormal, we all have a different threshold for belief. And I maintain that whether you believe in this or not, you won't truly believe in it on a fundamental level until something happens to you that you just cannot explain any other way. You know, I had an experience last. Amen. Yeah, absolutely. Just last month, I was I was back in the mother country. Uh, I was doing four nights in Shepton Mallet, and then I was at one of the one of your old one of your old haunts that you know well, the Skirid Inn. Oh, we still go there. Still out with the Skirid Inn, but we Shepton Mallet. Yeah, uh, I don't go, but Carl and some of the team they go regularly there, and they love it. I'm writing a book about both of those locations. So, what happened to me at um, the Skirid? was one of those things. Just real briefly, uh, we would investigate all night, go to bed at sunrise after a full English breakfast. And then I would surface at four in the afternoon and do it all over again. Well, I woke up at about four. And if, if you know room one, bedroom one, the bathroom is like it's a ways away. You have to go down some stairs and into a whole other room. So the tap, the cold, hot and cold taps in there, you have to run them for a couple of minutes to get any hot water. So I went down, <laughs> turned on the tap, um, my phone rang up in the room, so I went back up, came down. The tap had been turned off. And it doesn't sound spectacular until you're standing in that room and you realize there's no way a human being could have got in and mechanically turned off that tap. No way. Oh, absolutely. And do you know that that place is one of my favorite locations to skew it in. Uh, we had all sorts of shenanigans going on in that place. It was fantastic. Um, it, a really great, great place. And, of course, um, you know that the um, the location you just mentioned before Shepton, um, Shepton that you Mallet. went to as well, Shepton. That's right. So these are so these books are going to be coming out uh, very soon. Yeah, my my book on uh, it's a combined book on Shepton and the Skirid. It's called Spirits Behind Bars because you have a pub bar and you have prison bars. Ooh. I quite like the symmetry. Yes, of that. that's out in July. I like that's good. Yeah. Yeah, that's out in July. Yeah, richardestep.net. All of my books are available there. And uh, I post some stuff about the TV work I do, haunted hospitals, you know, uh, haunting, those kind of shows as well. I just love talking to people about this kind of stuff. 
Oh, will you come back and be a guest, a guest on our regular guest on our show? Oh, I'd be delighted. Um, by all means, I feel like we barely could scratch the surface because it's such a deep subject. Good luck with the new books out in July. Uh, you've got the website that you've mentioned. If you fancy going on there and getting any of Richard's books, they look amazing and great. And I know, I know they are amazing. So let's uh, let's catch up pretty soon and discuss further the world of uh, the paranormal. Well, thank you for listening to Paranormal Activity with me, Yvette Fielding, and a huge thanks to all our lovely listeners for sharing their visitation stories with us. Uh, You can get in touch and share your own stories at this address, which is paranormalactivitypod at gmail.com, or you can contact us on WhatsApp, and here's the number. It's 075-999-27537. And we are on social media, so our Instagram handle is at paranormalactivitypod. Stay up to date with the newest episodes by giving us a follow and we'll be back again same time next week but if you can't wait until then uh, visit www.paranormalpod.co.uk where you can find options to get episodes a day early you lucky things have a great week stay safe and remember things aren't always as they seem Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.